Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. A huge welcome from me as well today. Um, particularly if you are here supporting some of our baptism guys today, if you're visiting us, it's really great that you're here with us. So thanks so much for being here. It's brilliant. Now, you may have seen a story in the news uh, about two or three weeks ago, and it was about someone called Amu Haji, Uncle Haji. And uh, I think we've got a picture of him will come up on the screen here. Now, Uncle Haji has the unenviable title of being the world's dirtiest man. The world's dirtiest man. The reason he has this title is because he hasn't washed for well over 60 years. 60 years. Just let that sink in for a minute. That is a very, very long time. Now, Uncle Haji had a deep-held belief that staying dirty is what would keep him alive. So he didn't wash for over 60 years. And uh, the deep irony is that about three weeks ago, at the age of about 94, he'd had a good life, Uncle Haji died after taking his first wash in over 60 years. It's all true, it's all true. Now, I would love to say that I have got a really deep spiritual connection with the baptisms this morning, but the only thing I can think to say is that for the baptism candidates, be very grateful you're not going in the pool after Uncle Haji. Anyway, I will leave that there. Because, <laughs> of course, we're having baptisms today, and they are rich with significance about being washed clean from our sins. They're rich with the symbol of going underneath the water uh, in like the death of Christ coming up with the resurrection, they're rich with significance about being overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit being filled with this new life. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And the guys who are being baptised today are saying that they have chosen to follow Jesus Christ here and now. That they have chosen to believe that he was both a real person who lived about 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, as well as fully divine, the Son of God, come to make things right between God and humanity, dynamic and at work today. Being baptised is the outward sign, it's the outward symbol of that inner choice and that inner belief. It's a little bit like for um, a marriage, a wedding ring. So uh, my husband Nick and I have been married for several years now. And when we said our vows to one another, we exchanged these wedding rings. The ring itself is not the marriage, which is really good news because Nick has lost two of them already. <laughs> He's on his third and they're getting cheaper every time, just to say that. <laughs> but the ring symbolizes this choice, this commitment, this direction of travel that we intended to go on when we got married. And in the same way, choosing to be baptized is this choice, it's commitment, and it's an intentional direction of travel with Jesus Christ at the center. So the beautiful thing about it is that Jesus himself was baptized. We've got an account of it in the Gospels, and we're gonna read about that now in the Gospel of Matthew, just a few verses. They're gonna come up on the screen behind me. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter three, verses 13 to 17, say this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the River Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. 
at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. You know, it's this beautiful image of the Trinity God that we talk about as Christians. Jesus being baptized, the Spirit descending on him and the Father's voice speaking over him. Uh, A year or so back, I met a Guardian reporter. Don't know what your paper of choice is, but I met a Guardian reporter. He was visiting city center churches and he was interviewing people and he was trying to get to the bottom of this question that is bothering reporters. Why is it that young people seem to be engaging with matters of faith again? What's going on? Why on earth would someone come to a church? And this Guardian reporter described himself to me as a fire-breathing rationalist. But then he said he did have questions. He had some big questions and he understood that people were looking for answers. Well, I once had a session with a psychologist who described me as hyper-rational. Basically means I overthink everything. But I'm hyper-rational, so I thought I could give this Guardian journalist a bit of a run for his money on the rationalist front. And first of all, I thought, well, what's the problem? I can see that being rational and having faith, I don't see why they shouldn't happen together. For me, they hold together brilliantly. But I did think he had a point about the questions about these core questions that we all hold. And two of the really core ones are, who am I? And am I worthy of being loved? Who am I? And am I worthy of being loved? You know, it's this question that babies start to ask as they look at their hands and their feet and they they look at the faces around them, looking at them. It's a question that teenagers typically ask, isn't it? You know, am I just a teenage dirtbag baby? (laughs) It's a question for the midlife crisis. My husband, Nick, has got this big dream of driving a huge American-style truck around the city centre of Birmingham. Say no more. Going to leave that one there. You know, it's the questions that we ask when life throws something at us, really difficult, like loss or illness or divorce. And most of us have days when we feel pretty confident. We think, yeah, I know who I am. I'm, I'm okay. And other days when we feel a lot more insecure, and I certainly have my fair share of what I would call low-functioning days. Low-functioning days. Now, um, our daughter Gracie is 18 now. I know, I know. Uh, You're meant to be a bit more surprised by that, that I've got an (laughs) 18-year-old daughter. Yes, thank you. No way. But (laughs) a lot of years ago, Gracie had some homework to do when she was in primary school. And uh, I'm sure none of you other parents have ever done this, but somehow this issue of homework had got ramped up and up and up through the day with me trying to get her to do the homework and her refusing to do it. And it got to this, the phase when I was just so cross. I just, oh, just for goodness sake, just go to your room and just do it. Now, can I just suggest, if any of you are in this situation, that you first check what the homework is before you send them off to do it. You see, Gracie's homework was to draw and describe someone in her family. In that moment, yep, she chose me. Here's the result. If you can't read that, it says mummy, dark hair, green eyes, grumpy looking. I mean, to be fair, it is quite a good likeness. I think it's not not too bad. 
But I have to say, it was not the greatest feeling in the world, knowing that that was what was going to go back to her school, to her teachers. That is who they are going to think I am. That is who I am. Sometimes we are not proud of who we are. Sometimes our feelings, our history, our brokenness seems to spring out of nowhere and announce to the world, this is who you are. This is who you are. It's not a good feeling. So what makes you, you? Is it your personality? Is it your achievements? Is it your background? Is it your social media presence? I don't know, because we live in an individualistic culture. You know, in some cultures, it's the family that very much shapes a person. But in our culture, you decide who you want to be. You decide what you want to do. You decide. It's your will that matters. It's your achievements and accolades and attainments that matter, but it's your responsibility to achieve those, to do those. It is a lot of pressure. If you are in the process of working out who you are and whether you're worthy of being loved, that is a lot of pressure on you. And how about the circumstances around you? Because you see, we try and answer these questions internally with our sense of self, how we're feeling externally as we look to the people around us. And then as the circumstances gather around us, that seems to shape us too. And of course, we've talked a lot about this being a particularly anxious and unstable era. You might be with the actress Lily Tomlin who said, things are going to get a lot worse before they get worse. (laughs) You know, a recent poll in America said that 27% of respondents said they were so stressed they could barely function. It's a quarter of people quarter of people. So how in the midst of all that do we work out who we are and if we're worthy of being loved? And the thing is, it's great, isn't it? If you can have the following things behind you, if you can have a loving and stable family background, if you can have a perfect marriage, if you can have supportive, good-looking friends, if you can have a healthy bank balance, a life-giving job, you know, you can have good looks, and you can have a perfect home, and you can have a pet that adores you and probably peace on earth. If all those things are in place, then maybe life is going to be okay for you. However, it is just possible that one or more of those things aren't entirely lining up for you right now. It is possible. And if that is the case, I've got some really good news for you. I've got some good news for you because it's held within this story of Jesus' baptism. Just before I move on, I know some of you are a little concerned about that homework that Gracie did and what happened. So I'd I'd just like to reassure you that like it was kind of a good storybook ending, Gracie and I made up, it was all lovely, and she decided to redo her homework. I just need to show you what she then did. Mummy, when she's happy, when she's happy. Mummy's green eyes sparkle when she's happy. Her dark hair glistens and her smile is really big. (laughs) Unfortunately, you can't quite blot out the glaring green eyes behind it, but you know, hey, that's fine. You know, I felt totally different on seeing that. Gracie had rewritten the narrative over me. She had rewritten the narrative over me. It might be that you feel today you need the narrative being rewritten over your life. It might be over your whole life. It might be over some areas of your life. But there is this possibility of having a narrative rewritten over you today. Let's have a look again at this Bible reading. Because before his baptism, Jesus could have had a real issue with that question, who am I? 
And I'm sure you know the story. You know, he was born at this time of huge political and social unrest. His parents' marital status was under question. You know, his heritage was under suspicion. He had to flee the country because the, the ruling powers were endangering his life. He had to live as a refugee in a foreign country for a few years. When he returned, he lived under an oppressive regime. He finally got this uh, apprenticeship as a carpenter in a backwater town until the age of about 30, which is when his baptism took place. But on that day, this sort of mixed bag of identity was replaced with something completely new, spoken directly from his father in heaven with these words, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Who am I? Am I worthy of being loved? Jesus' identity was received, not achieved. It was received directly from the Father. You know, he didn't need to work it out for himself. He didn't need to look to his disciples for some answers or the local religious leaders. He didn't have to see how the circumstances were gathered around him. It wasn't as a response to something he had done because Jesus, at this point, hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't done a miracle. He hasn't started any of his teaching. It's not because of his sort of spiritual superiority or his intellectual ability. It is purely that he has shown up and the Father has given him his identity and audibly answered those core questions. Who am I? Am I worthy of being loved? You know, when we get baptized, when we come into the family of the church, we are being linked intrinsically with Jesus. In the New Testament, it uses the language of being in Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, the son he loves, the son he's well pleased with. And it's this unconditionality that we are stepping into. It's not about what you've achieved. It's not about what you've done. You don't have to do anything. There is this unconditionality that you are stepping into. It is like nothing you have ever experienced before. You know, your identity is rooted in God's love for you as his child. You don't need to do anything. You're now part of his family. And the truth is there are still going to be things that feel overwhelming in life. There are still gonna be people's responses to you that are less than affirming, that are difficult. There will be circumstances that gather around you that are not ideal. We're not immune to that when we become Christians, when we get baptized. But you see, the word baptism has, is from a Greek word that is baptizo, and it means to dip, to immerse, to wash clean, but it has this final meaning, which is to overwhelm, to overwhelm. So when the world is overwhelming you and the questions are overwhelming you, you can know God's love overwhelming all of that. That is what we can step into this morning. You know, sometimes we sing a song here that says, sometimes I feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, by you. No caveats, no clauses, no extra bits you've got to do to prove or achieve, no pressure. So who are you? You're a child of the King. 1 John 3 verse one says this, see what great love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Are you worthy of being loved? You bet. Romans 5 eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, there is verse after verse after verse in the Bible that tells you that you are God's child and that you are loved. If you will just read it, you will hear the voice of the Father over you. You know, being known and loved changes how we live our lives. There's an old church in London that we used to go to some years ago 
and on one of the walls there was a plaque, as there sometimes are, and it said a man's name, and it said these words underneath it, a man greatly loved. I thought, oh, that's just such an amazing thing to have spoken over you, how life must have felt if you know that you are greatly loved. And I was speaking at the church one morning and actually I drew attention to this plaque and I was talking about how God loves us. And at the end of the service, an elderly man came up and spoke to me and he said, do you know who that man is? I said, well, I have no idea. I just saw the plaque. And he said, that was my wife's father. And he went on to tell me that his wife has severe dementia. And as you know, it can be an incredibly devastating disease. And his wife was really totally in her own world. She wasn't engaging with people around her. She wasn't kind of present at all. But he kept bringing her to church week after week. It's because it's what she'd always done. So she was there in this familiar routine. And that morning, she was in her own world, as she always was. But as I'd pointed out this plaque, mentioned her father's name and the words underneath it, for a few minutes, she had suddenly engaged again. She connected with her husband. She'd known what was going on around her, and she was absolutely in the moment. It was really profound for them, and the, and the guy was in tears as he was telling me what had happened that morning. You know, as I talked about a father who was greatly loved, that couple's heavenly father had reached down and reminded them that they are known and that they are loved. It was a beautiful moment. You know, if you are still trying to work out who you are and whether you are loved, can I just invite you to consider the possibility that there might be a heavenly father who knows you and who loves you? And you can explore that further here at the church. You can ask your friends questions if, if you've been brought with someone. But we also do something called the Alpha Course that we want running in January. It's an amazing place just to come and explore and ask any question you've ever had. It's worth exploring as you try and figure these questions out. And if for you, you've known that God loves you and knows you, but the negative chatter has been kind of filling up your head again and again, and you're kind of finding it hard to hear right now, can I just suggest that you do everything you can to get back into that place where you can hear the Father's voice over you? There's a beautiful verse in the book of Jude, uh, verses 21 to 23, and it says this, stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. You know, it's time to come back for some of you this morning. Come back within the boundaries because you will hear God's voice over you. You know, spending time with someone who's difficult and demanding and resentful is so emotionally exhausting. It's so draining. We all know that. And we've got the opportunity to do the exact opposite of that, to spend time with someone who knows us, who loves us completely, who is life-giving, who is dynamic, who's not only a king and a boss, he is those things, but he's a father too. And he will speak those words, he'll sing those words even over you. If you can spend time with someone like that day by day, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You know, baptism is this beautiful symbol of a new identity. It's overwhelming with God's love, but it is something that each of us can step into every single day. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at gastricchurch.com.